0: the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. Matt Minicharian is getting married this week, so we found three people to fill in in his place. First, we talk to one of our two SIS injury experts, James Rodriguez. We'll touch on Derek Stingley, Drake London, and a number of the other top picks to gauge their health as we look to 2022. Then we bring in one of the leaders of our draft prospect evaluation team, Nathan Cooper. He'll run down the top draft classes based on our scouting grades. The Eagles were among them, so we bring in Bo Wolf. Eagles beat writer from The Athletic, to zoom in on their draft and their big trade. So let's get started. James Rodriguez is a member of our two-person injury evaluation team, along with John Veros. And just to establish James' credentials, he has a doctor's degree in physical therapy and spent seven years as a physical therapist. James, what are your credentials for evaluating football and football injuries?
1: Well, I was here last year with SIS as a football scout, so I was watching countless amount of games and charting them. And then, as far as injuries, that was another responsibility for me was to watch the injuries as they happened and then try to pinpoint what what structure was involved. And so what I can do is I can use my knowledge of anatomy, kinesiology and biomechanics to try to identify the structure that was affected. And I do this by knowing what we call the mechanism of injury, the player's reaction on the field, and then also the athletic trainer's assessment of the player on the field. Basically, a, a trainer will go out there, they conduct special tests. That just means they're doing a test to kind of look at the integrity of something that they suspect is involved. And I know the test as well. So gauging what the trainer's doing on the field, I can have an idea of the structure, number of structures they're looking at to kind of pinpoint not just the region, but the you know more specific area involved during the injury.
0: So it's essentially taking a much more educated guess than someone like myself would.
1: Sure. Yeah, you could put it that way.
0: (laughs) If you go to the SIS NFL Draft website, nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com, every player has an injury flag. Those were all assigned by you and John. And I'm curious what the process was for evaluating injuries and giving flags.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I love doing this. It was basically, we wanted to give each prospect a flag, a designation. Whereas in the past, we just kind of highlighted certain athletes that may have had Significant injuries. This year, we wanted to cover them all. So, what I would describe it as this is a three-step process. The first step was to do a literature review. You know, find all the research out there about NFL injuries and ability for the athletes to participate in the NFL. And so, with that being said, we care about participation, not production. So, we're looking at the number of snaps a player was involved in, amount of games, starts, length of career. And we used all that information to try to come up with a template. And that template is what provided us with these injuries are red, these injuries are yellow, and these are going to be green. And it's not just, I want to say, injury-specific, but it's also position-specific. So, for instance, an ACL is going to be a yellow injury unless there are multiple ACLs to the same knee. Or you were an offensive lineman, defensive lineman or linebacker, because historically those positions have had a harder time getting on the field and staying on the field. So that was the first step. And then the second step was to go through and look at every single athlete's injury history, you know, cross-reference our database against all of the public, you know, doing a research, internet search, basically, to try to find every single detail that we can and listing them out for each prospect. We use that template we created with the injuries that we have listed, and we were able to assign grades. And then the last part of the process was to go in there and actually implement the flags for the prospects themselves. And so when we did that, basically each prospect's going to have an overall section and the scouts were responsible for putting any injuries that may have happened to that athlete during their career. So we read through those injuries, make sure that list matches our list. And so what's great about Our draft site is it gives you a value to the injury that you're going to read that that player experienced. You can go to any other draft site, which I don't know why you would, but you can go somewhere else and you can basically see the injuries. They may comment on them, but it gives you no value. We give you value to the injury. So we give you something that says this is, it gives you basically what I would call the level of concern. And it's pretty neat because you can use it as another tool for comparing athletes to another and basically injuries to another. So we did all the hard work for you.
0: Again, NFL draft at sportsinfosolutions.com. The thing that you said about offensive linemen and torn ACLs, that was particularly interesting. But let's go through some players and put what you did to use. And we'll start not with an offensive lineman, but with Derek Stingley, who went number three overall to the Texans. He played only three games this past season foot injury, head surgery. Texans feel confident enough to put him all the way at three. They let a lot of good players go through to do that. What's his prognosis?
1: Yeah, so Stingley suffered a LeSprank injury and I don't want to get too into the weeds of the anatomy of the injury. Basically it's the midfoot, the middle of the foot. It's a very stable region. At least it should be when you have that injury, there's varying degrees or grades. If it's a high enough grade, it's going to warrant surgery. So his in- injury required a surgery to fixate and stabilize it basically. So with that being said, I mean, I was reading a lot of reports about Stingley and NFL teams weren't concerned about him. Now they have their own medical evaluators looking at him, testing them, putting them through imaging to see, you know, how much separation is happening in that area when he's putting weight through the foot, all these other tests and measures they can look at. And they felt confident with it. Now I don't have access to that. All I can go off of is he had a L's Frank injury. It was severe enough that it required surgery. Based off of those factors, we gave him a red because... Athletes returning from that injury have a decreased number of games played and a decreased number of starts over the length of their career. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. But obviously, the Texans felt really good about it after they looked since they took them number three overall.
0: So the list, Frank, makes you nervous on Derek Stingley. That's an interesting contrast. To what wound up happening. This is a receiver rich draft. The receiving class had some questions within it. Here were all these receivers that were taken pretty quickly. There was a big run on them. Let's start with Drake London and his fractured ankle. He also had a hamstring strain that pushed back his pro day, but all that said, he went eight to the Falcons, and people seem to think that he's gonna he's the leading candidate to the offensive rookie of the year. You think he's gonna be okay?
1: He was the number one receiver taken off the board and our injury flags have no concerns. We got him as a green. Now, although he had the ankle fracture and surgery and it may look gruesome when you rewatch the injury from all the data that we've looked at over the time, it really hasn't played too much of a significance in his ability to play in games just from that injury alone. So he gets the green for us. And then in regards to the hamstring strain, you know, this was a guy that was waiting to actually participate in physical activity. So he tried to ramp up his training load to get ready for his pro day. He may have accelerated it quicker than he should have. And anytime you do that, you're going to predispose a muscle injury to tweaking a little bit. But when he's all set, I don't I don't have any concerns about him.
0: So maybe a little overeager, but a green light overall on Drake London, a contrast there to Stingley. Jamison Williams to the Lions. He tore his ACL in the national championship game. And then he's like, oh, I'll be healthy by training camp.
1: Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that one. You know, he's probably eager to get on the field. If they I was all are. Lion, yeah, sure. We we want to see him. He's a great athlete, great prospect. But I care about the long game, not the short game with him. So if I was a Lions fan and I was hearing that he was going to return by September, October, I'd be super nervous. You know, some surgeons don't even want their athlete to return to football-related activity until nine months after surgery. So that's putting him right on the border. And in addition to that, we're not just talking about the physical component of his rehab. There's a psychological component. That's this athlete needs to trust his leg. He needs to have full confidence that it's going to be able to do everything that he does and withstand the forces as he's making his cuts and jumping and doing everything that he needs to do, because it's not only that leg that's at risk, but it's also the opposite leg that may be at risk another ACL injury. So for him, Just be very careful. I wouldn't expect to see him until November, December, just to get some reps before the next season and just kind of go on from there. Like, don't rush it, please, Williams. (laughs) Be be smart about it.
0: So it's like it's kind of like a yellow flag with a hint of red.
1: Yeah. If he's not managed properly, it could be a red, right? Like And and that's on the lions then. It's on the lions, yeah. Yep.
0: All right, can you with that? I've talked to many college athletes that have torn their ACLs, and I'm curious about, and this certainly will pertain to Odell Beckham Jr. too, can you talk about the medical advances that have been made with ACL injuries in the last 10-20 years that would allow Jameson Williams to be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be back by, uh, by training camp?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the the biggest thing, the greatest advancement in the care for ACL injuries is the individualized approach. That they not only do for the surgery and the decision-making of the surgery, but also the rehab process itself. I mean, surgeons are, even just the timing of the surgery, they're going to make sure certain parameters are met before they take them under the knife, right? They want to look at the stage of inflammation and the amount of swelling, the amount of range of motion in that knee, you know, what, where, what's the state of it before they even go through the operation, And then they have to decide, like, what's the technique we're going to do? They're going to look at the anatomical placement of the graph. They're going to look at the type, the size, the shape of the graph. And all that stuff is going to be geared towards that athlete's profile. You know, what's that athlete's size, their position, their sports-specific demands? Like, what do they need to do? And that's going to be intricate into the decision-making. You know, that's the same process that goes through their rehab. You know, there's going to be these benchmarks that they need to meet before they go on to the next one so it's just very individualized it's very specific I think it's great and you're seeing athletes return from the injury and being able to perform but you need to be mindful of that individual and I think that's what we're doing a better job doing.
0: Jameson Williams will be certainly an interesting test case for this season speaking of ACL tears Traylon Burks had one too he has a collection of injuries a knee sprain a foot ankle, shoulder. And a chest injury. And yet, he only missed two games. He went 18th to the Titans. Titans traded A.J. Brown. How should they feel about Traylon Burks?
1: Oh, for all those little bumps and scrapes and things that he got dinged up with, he stayed on the field. So you gotta, you gotta like that about him. Yep. As far as he gets the yellow flag for us specifically because of that ACL injury. I mean, we're talking about the knee, which is the most common region affected during football. And we're talking about a ligament that is... The stabilizing force of the knee so the, those two factors is why an acl is always going to be a yellow if you have a history of it now the the fact is he experienced this in 2018 so he's been on the field producing for quite some time so that gives you confidence so if i could give like a shades of yellow he would get a <laughs> lighter shade in an essence you know what i mean fair yeah
0: yep there exactly. I think that that's that's probably the word. All right. So Traylon Burke's a yellow. Jameson Williams, as we said, uh, yellow with a hint of red. Drake London, green light, uh, you feel pretty good about him. Derek hmm. Stingley, you've got concerns. He's he's red flagged for you. There was one other thing that you guys wanted to bring up, and it was Justin Rose or Justin Ross and Demont Clark, both with neck surgeries. You gave one a yellow, you gave one a red. Explain everything that, that went into that.
1: Yeah, so you know, Justin Ross, they they both had surgeries that required a a fusion basically to their neck and the difference is is that Justin Ross he got a red flag for us and that's basically because it was what we call congenital it was an issue with his neck that he was born with and that's not the case for Clark so that's why Clark gets the yellow flag Ross gets the red flag because the origin of the injury is different and the giraffe actually reflects what we ended up doing because Clark got drafted and Ross ended up undrafted being picked up. Chiefs ended up signing him.
0: Just to recap everything that you've said, recap it again. Jarek Stanley Jr., concerns, red flag. Texans took him at three. They must feel better about him than you do. Drake London, green light. You feel that was good. Falcons at eight. He's going to be fine. Jamison Williams, this will be interesting. A lot of things to think about with him as we go forward. Traylon Burke, similarly, a a light shade of yellow on the flag, meaning caution, but not too much caution, because in the end, Traylon Burke stayed on the field, and that's something that I think Titans fans will probably they'll probably admire about him. And then what you just said about Damone Clark and Justin Ross, Justin Ross, you have more concerns about because it's a congenital injury as opposed to Damone Clark who's going to the Cowboys more of a caution there, despite having had his surgery just in March. Are there any other medical advancements related to football that we should be keeping our eye on as we go through the summer here?
1: I think the biggest thing is there's a lot of technology that's advancing, you know, so we general public, right? We wear all our Fitbits and our Garmin watches and we're tracking our steps and heart rates. But I mean, at the athletes level, at teams levels, they're doing that too. They're just using more complex tracking devices and that's where it's growing to. So, you know, teams will use these GPS trackers to quantify, you know, the distance and athletes running the number of sprints, the intensity of the sprints, how many times they're accelerating and decelerating and the collisions for a player, what was the impact of a collision. And they're using all this information to kind of optimize their weekly training loads so that you can minimize the injuries and then also maximize their performance. So these training regiments are being designed specific towards that athlete. And you can identify athletes that may be overtraining, which would increase their injury risk under training where they're not optimizing their performance or training right at that at that level that they should be the other facet with all the wearable technology is it helps with the development of equipment right so we can try to create helmets and mouth guards that can you know protect the athlete and their head and neck but also give you a real-time value for the force of impact that they were received and it can actually give real-time updates to the medical staff on the sidelines to let them know hey this guy received the impact of this degree and they have a color-coded system but it's 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 growing in a really good growing in a really good way a useful way that can try to keep these athletes safe and that's what the ultimate goal is right to keep these athletes safe and help them stay on the field for a long time and you know hopefully we can make like the LeBron James's and the Tom Brady's more of the rule than the exception, right?
0: Yep, and it's a violent game, as Matt always likes to say. Uh, James Rodriguez, I'm sure we'll be talking to you more as the season gets closer. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm joined by Nathan Cooper, one of the leaders of our NFL Draft scouting team. Coop, John Todd, and our VP, Matt Minicharian, oversaw all our football scouting rankings. You can find everything at nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. Coop and John and a few other members of our op staff offered a comprehensive draft review on our website. 3,000 words based on which teams did best in our rankings. I'll read off the top five. One, Jets. Two, Eagles. Three, Lions. Four, Ravens. Five, Panthers. That's Jets, Eagles, Lions, Ravens,
2: Panthers. Coop, give us a broad strokes overview as to why the order is what it is. Yeah, hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Obviously, anytime you have three first-round picks, it's going to be hard to get a low grade. I mean, that's the situation for the Jets. They nailed all three of their picks, though. Plus, they got four more solid players later in the draft to round out, uh, you know, our top-ranked class. Moving on to number two, we'll talk more about the Eagles, you know, here coming up soon. But getting Jordan Davis and Jacoby Dean both with six-eight grades for us, two of their picks there really helped their ranking number three lions our number one overall player was aiden hutchinson so that really helped out and then one of, he was one of only three 7-0 players for us this year and then obviously traded up for jamison williams our number two receiver and then at number four the ravens they just keep doing this year in and year out taking the best players on the board kyle hamilton falls to them at 14 tyler linderbaum late in the first nine of their 11 players graded out as a six three or better so a lot of really good talent headed to Baltimore once again. And then finally, at number five, the Panthers, their first pick, one of our top-rated guys. And then they took three six, five graded players in Matt Corral, Amari Barno, and Cade Mays later in the draft as well. And
0: 6'5s are, are guys that are pretty capable of, of being impact fairly quickly?
2: Yeah, you're looking at low-end starters there. Not a guy who's going to come out, maybe be a, a solid three-down player right away. But by year two, we're, we're seeing those guys as probably sub-package type players.
0: So again, Jets, Eagles, Lions, Ravens, and Panthers. And with that, we welcome in Bo Wolf from The Athletic. Bo covers the Eagles. We wanted to zoom in on one team in particular this week. We'll probably do another zoom in in the next week or two as well. The Eagles ranking, it's a little odd given that they didn't have a lot of picks but they maximized what they got. They got the number one nose tackle on our board, Jordan Davis, four, number 14 prospect overall. They got Cam Jurgens in the second round, modest number five ranked center for us. Then they got the number two will linebacker, Nakobe Dean. We had him as our number 15 ranked player overall. I know that the Athletic had him maybe 10 back of that. He slides to round three. I know we also like Grant Calcaterra, who the Eagles got in the sixth round. And free agent signings. They did pretty well there. They signed Carson Strong as a free agent quarterback. We had him in our top five quarterbacks. And oh yeah, by the way, Barry the lead. Big trade to get A.J. Brown, which we can talk about. But Bo, first, give us an overview of the Eagles draft gets.
3: First of all, thanks for having me, Mark. And and uh, you touched on pretty much most of it since they only had five picks. But they, they make the trade up from 15 to 13 to get Jordan Davis in the first round. Then they make the A.J. Brown trade. Then they draft Cam Jurgens in the second round, as you said, to be sort of the the Jason Kelsey replacement in waiting. Uh, then they grab the, the falling N'Kobe the Dean in the third. And then uh, they only had two picks on day three. They took a Kansas sort of Sam linebacker prospect, Kyron Johnson, who's who can do a little bit of pass rush. He's undersized. And then Grant Calcaterra, as you mentioned. But to me, like if we if we just sort of set aside the A.J. Brown thing, because that is for the Eagles, a home run. Given that they didn't have to give up too much in relative to like what Marquise Hollywood Brown fetched in terms of trade comp- compensation, for instance, it's like that's a win for the Eagles, no doubt. The the Jordan Davis thing to me is interesting because, you know, in your guys' rankings, for instance, you've got Kyle Hamilton at, at number three overall, and the Eagles take Davis over Kyle Hamilton and, and the Eagles, you know, their organizational emphasis is always going to be on the line of but like I, I do feel like that is the sort of like parallel universe sliding doors for the Eagles here is <laughs> what if they had gone Kyle Hamilton, and then you could probably get a defensive tackle in the second round. Would that have been better for them long-term? Obviously they make the bet on, on Jordan Davis and his upside. And I think like safety valuation in the draft is an interesting thing across the league. For instance, the Cowboys, you know, Jerry Jones, Held up his like his picture of the Cowboys board, and my colleague at the Athletic, John Machota, like was able to zoom in and figure out what those rankings were. And they, you know, passed on safety on their board who had a higher grade in in Lewis scene from Georgia. He was one of their fourteen like first round graded players, and instead they took a, an offensive tackle in Tyler Smith, presumably because of the positional importance. So I, I think like how safeties are valued is interesting, but I do view the Jordan Davis over Kyle Hamilton as sort of the the decision that the Eagles made that that will be like followed for a long time.
0: I like the sliding doors comp. Good movie. Coop, why are you so high on Jordan Davis?
2: Yeah, I think I think Bo hit it. You know, there's a ton of upside there. He's just so athletic. We saw it at the combine. Obviously, some questions around the stamina of the motor. I think some of those things will come. The, the coaching staff can get that out of him. But when he puts it all together, he's dominant. It's really tough to block him. He doesn't want to be, you know, if he doesn't want to be blocked, it's it's hard to block, and he can get to the ball. We feel like he's a three down player, already dominant run defender, needs a little work in the pass game, but has all the traits to be able to get to that that three down level.
0: And I know this is a this is a big thing that we talk about as a company. We don't talk much about need based drafting. We talk about getting the the best player available. Coop. Were were you surprised by the fact that they passed on Hamilton in that spot?
2: Yeah, I I think so. I think, you know, a lot of people were, and I was surprised, you know, some other teams passed on him as well. You know, there was a lot of talk leading up, you know, he could go anywhere from two to really, you know, 15, just depending on how, how things shook and just, you know, how everything did shake out him, you know, still falling down the board a little bit. You know, there was talk about Philly taking, you know, Jordan Davis, if he was there, You know, I think if you had if you were going for Jordan Davis, you had to leave Baltimore, which is what they did. But bringing up the good points there, you know, Kyle Hamilton, you know, rated higher, at least on our board. And I I think a lot of people considered him the number one player in the entire draft. So I think it's a little surprising, especially where the defense is currently. But, yeah, both hit it. You're looking at the defensive line. And, you know, there's obviously questions about the value of, of the safety position in the NFL right now.
0: And the Cooby Dean we had rated pretty high as well, very high as a matter of fact. He slips to the third round. But we have a question on him in a second, but Coop, why do you like him so much?
2: Yeah, he's got the high motor, the pursuit. He just always seems to be around the ball. Can do a little bit of everything. You know, he can play the run, he can cover, he can blitz. The the big thing for me was the size, the you know the lack of length. But for a guy like that, you just you can't overthink it. Obviously, the injury probably played into it. But I think this guy, you know, assuming he's healthy, this guy's going to be a fun guy to watch and Philly. he's going to fly around. And yeah, Bo, I, I have a question for you on, on being here. You know, One, what's the latest on the injury if you have anything? Is that something that's going to affect him starting the season on time? And then where do you see him sort of slotting in in the lineup?
3: Yeah, so so it was interesting, you know, when Howie Roseman came down for his his post-round press conference on on Friday night after rounds two and three, he said, you know, Kobe Dean is going to be on the field this weekend when we have rookie minicamp. He's he's good to go. Like they, you know, their their doctors acknowledge that he has this this peck strain, but it's nothing that like guys on the roster haven't already had and played through. Like it's sort of the the bumps and bruises of you know playing four years in the SEC, they say. So from their perspective, it is not something that's gonna hamper him at all as a rookie. You know, it might it might come back to bite him down the line, but to me, like the the slide was interesting because I think it was probably more about like the league valued him as more of a a second round talent than a first round talent. And so the slide wasn't quite as precipitous as it as it might have seemed to us from the outside. And I think part of that is because he's undersized and also because that injury, he also had a, a sort of a nagging knee injury, meant that he couldn't test in the pre-draft process. So teams didn't have some of those those numbers on him that they would have liked to see because I think there are some questions about his true speed. But, you know, Howie Roseman has said, and, you know, this is like what all GMs say, so we take it with a grain of salt, but that uh, when the Eagles were on the clock in the second round with pick number 51, their decision was between Cam Jurgens and N'Kobe D. And Those were the two guys at the top of their board, and they didn't think there was any way they were going to get him in the third round, and they didn't have uh, any pick ammunition to move up if in case he was falling, so they were just sitting there crossing their fingers and hoping. I think that's like, you know, again, that's what every GM says. Like we can't believe this guy fell to us. But I, I sort of believe it from from their perspective on Dean. It's also one of those weird things where like you imagine that that being in the draft room, the longer a guy like that slides, the more you're like, Well, what are we missing? Like why why is this guy falling and you and you sort of start start to second guess yourself? But you know, Howie Roseman said he talked to like the doctors four times as the pick was approaching just to make sure that they were good to go. And and Nicobe Dean from from his perspective, when he talked to us after he was drafted, said that he is totally good to go. Like he is he he has talked to doctors who said, you know, you don't need any time. You you did not need surgery, you are ready to go. So uh, we will see how that plays out. The the Eagles are are betting on their guys, but it, it's going to be interesting to follow for sure.
2: Where do you see him sort of slotting in? Do you see him as more of a Mike, uh, a will type player, or how do you think the, the Eagles view him?
3: Yeah, for them, I, I think if you look at what they have, I think he's probably going to be more of a Mike for them because they, they signed Kayser White from the Chargers, who is a little bit more of a, of a will. And it's also, it's also interesting because like N'Kobe Dean, the, the questions are, is he going to be able to handle like size at the next level, right? Can, can he hold up? And lucky for him, he has Jordan Davis with him again to keep, you know, to keep blockers occupied just like he did in college. So that seems like a good fit. I I think it's going to be interesting right now. The Eagles have TJ Edwards penciled in as the other as the Mike linebacker and he'll pair with Kaiser White. But I I feel like if if Nicobe Dean is healthy, he's going to be on the field and and playing pretty much three downs.
0: Before we get to A.J. Brown the other picks and also the free agent signings. I know that, and Coop can articulate on this. But, but first, Bo, what did you make of of the the late round stuff and the the free agent signings that they made? Even the Carson Strong.
3: Yeah, so so Carson Strong. I think the knee is is what stopped him from getting drafted. I think teams have like a, a do not draft grade on him because I, I, it's like a degenerative knee condition that he has. But but I would imagine that. He was like close to top five, non-medically for for most teams as as you guys have him, and and that sort of reflects itself in the guaranteed money that the Eagles gave him. He, I think, it's like over three hundred thousand dollars, which is which which is like at the very top end of the market for for guaranteed money for those guys. And he had, I think, a, a lot of offers, so much so that the Eagles weren't sure they were going to get him, and they ended up agreeing to terms with a different undrafted quarterback. That was E.J. Perry from from Brown. And so then once Strong said he was coming to the Eagles, they let, hit, they let Perry go somewhere else because there just aren't enough practice traps for both guys. So I think he'll compete to, to make this roster. Reed Sinet is the guy who is their number three quarterback right now. And I think I would probably lay, I would probably make Strong the favorite as long as he proves to be healthy. And like there's an, there's upside for him to grow into the number two job. The Eagles have, have Gardner Minshew, who's on the last year, of his rookie contract. So that's that's a job that, that could be won. And then the other thing they did is they really overloaded at corner. They signed Mario Goodrich from, I think, Rock, I forget his first name, but Blackwell from Duke and then Josh Job from Alabama. And those guys all add to what is a, a cornerback room that has a lot of young depth, but nobody sort of jumping up at the top to be their number two cornerback opposite Darius Slay. Last year's fourth round pick, Zach McPherson is probably the guy who you would say is the favorite, but they also acquired a bunch of guys during the season last year to sort of add to to that depth. And, And I think that's a fine strategy for them, especially when you consider that last year they signed Steven Nelson in July as a veteran free agent, and he played fine as the starting corner. I think there are veterans on the market who they can, they could sign around training camp if they want to. I think they want to see what these young guys have. And especially in this defense, there's not a lot asked. From that position, opposite Darius Slay, so I think that's a fine strategy. I'm a little bit more concerned about about safety. For right now, it's Anthony Harris and Marcus Epps who are penciled in as the starters, and and a couple of guys who as backups who are you know unproven to to be kind. And I, I think they would like to add somebody to that mix, but there are not a lot of veterans available. It's it's different than corner. Really, the last guy who was. Starting caliber, who was on the street, was was Tyron Matthew, who signed with the Saints this week. So I, I would say if they're going to make a move in terms of like a trade or something, that's that's a place to look.
2: I just want to run back to the draft picks just real quick and ask about Cam Jurgens. I know you brought this up just a little bit. Jason Kelsey obviously teetering on retirement the last couple of years. They drafted Landon Dickerson last year and then take Jurgens this year. We see Jurgens as a starter, but more of that center only type of player. Do the Eagles view him as that way as well, or do they feel like maybe he's more of a versatile interior player? And I know you mentioned that he's more center and waiting once Kelsey is is out of there. But is he a guy that you know they see coming in and in playing center? I think a lot of Eagles fans last year thought that that was the case when they drafted Dickerson. So, sort of, what's the plan with you know once Kelsey retires with Jergens and Dickerson?
3: Yeah, so I don't know if you guys saw the the video of Jason Kelsey talking about this. He was on a Bleacher Report live stream, and he was saying that like he did scouting on all these uh, centers, and he's done it the past couple of years. And Jergens is the guy who was his favorite of all of them. He sees the most of himself in Jergens. Now, I sort of like I worry a little bit about the Eagles like trying to find the specific Jason Kelsey type because he's so unique that it feels like sort of chasing a ghost t- to some degree. But uh, we, asked, we asked about, you know, is Juergens a center only? And the, and the Eagles said they view him as being able to play guard. There's a, a spot at right guard that could be won. I think Isaac Sayamalo is, is probably going to get that job. And, and you would imagine that Juergens will cross-train uh, across those three interior line positions. As for Dickerson, you know, I think the Eagles were, were open to him being that, that long-term center. But uh, last year, the way things played out, you know, Sayamalo gets injured and Dickerson plays left guard next to Jordan Milata, and the Eagles sort of stumbled upon this like just dynamic tandem between those two guys these really big guys who work well together and, and have sort of this this budding friendship and it's been it's 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 like they decided they didn't want to mess with that it's it's too good there's no reason to to mess with that and it's interesting because the Eagles have sort of drafted the like the Kelsey replacement for going on like five six years now like Seyamalu, who is approaching the end of his extension was once upon a time supposed to be the say Amala or the, the the Kelsey replacement. So it, it does feel like this is the last one. This is the final one and it has Kelsey sign off. But it's this is sort of the the roll of the dice you take when you when you draft like a, a backup in the second round is like if Jason Kelsey plays this year and decides he wants to come back for another year, the Eagles aren't going to say no like he'll be back and and they're going to have to find another spot for Cam Jurgens. So, it's interesting, but it is like this is this is what the Eagles do. They they focus on the line of scrimmage and they make a habit of drafting guys who who may not necessarily start right away. I think of their last 12 first or second round picks, 9 of them have been drafted, you know, to be backups as as rookies. So, that's that's sort of what they do.
0: We kind of have buried the lead a little bit here. We talked for almost 15 minutes, and we haven't really. We got into AJ Brown, uh, Brown a little bit at the very start. Why do they like him so much?
3: Yeah, I'm guilty of this too. It's like we 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 spend more time talking about Kyron Johnson and Grant Karter <laughs> than we do about the like all pro level wide receiver. I mean, why do they like him? Because he's awesome. I think. First of all, he's young. He only turns 25 in June. So this is, this is different than like a, like a Tyreek Hill or or Devontae Adams acquisition, even. Uh, This is a guy who they can, you know, envision as being a part of this offense for a long time. and, And certainly he better be given that they signed him to a four year, $100 million deal. But he, like, he, he totally changes the face of the offense, I think. And it's interesting. This is a good case of watch what they do and not listen to what they say because, you know, the Eagles sort of, Made a case all offseason publicly that they they were fine at the wide receiver room. Like, what's really going to improve the passing game is more targets for Devonte Smith and more targets for Dallas Goddard and more targets for Quez Watkins. Meanwhile, they were like potentially trying to trade for Calvin Ridley. They tried to sign Christian Kirk and Allen Robinson. So it was it was clear that they they knew that they needed to upgrade at that wide receiver position. And and what this does is it it serves sort of two purposes on two separate timelines. It, it allows them one to like best evaluate is Jalen hurts the guy. Like let's give him all the weapons he could possibly need and give him a chance and, and prove that he can make this leap from year two to year three and potentially be our quarterback. And, and we've got him on, you know, a, a rookie contract. That's great. And if he does it awesome. And if not next off season, when they've got two first round picks and two second round picks, they can look like an attractive team to a veteran quarterback. And you know, we see these veteran quarterbacks or, or veterans, of of all positions sort of being more able to control their destiny and, and move teams than they have in the past. And if you're, you know, I don't know, let's say Kyler Murray or, or Lamar Jackson or whoever, and you're looking at like, where can I go and, and enter like a ready-made offense to compete? You look and see AJ Brown and Devante Smith and you think, okay, that's, that's a pretty good spot to be. So I think it has served both purposes for them and it's going to be interesting to see, to see how things play out.
0: He basically answered my last question here for you which is the quarterback situation you you kind of brought it up there for the, the longer term in the short term how do they feel about Jalen
3: yeah I mean like so again this is like watch what they do and watch <laughs> what they do is you know they, they tried to be involved in acquiring Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson so obviously they're not sold on on Jalen Hurts as the longtime guy their sort of party line answer has been that like we don't know exactly what Jalen Hurts's ceiling is but we feel confident that because of the way that he's wired, he will hit whatever that ceiling is. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's sort of fair. It, it's backed up by like how hard he works and how much his teammates love him uh, and all that kind of stuff. It, it, We've sort of said on on our podcast, Birds with Friends, they, that like he's good at everything. He's He has everything you want from a quarterback except for throwing the ball. And it's like <laughs> Nick, Sir- Nick Sirianni said this in the, at the combine he's like yeah like the only things we want to see him improve on are accuracy and reading defenses like okay well those are like the the number two like the the top two jobs of the position so i mean i think there is i think there is belief that he can improve on those things and uh, they have set him up very well this season i I think they should be considered like you know co-favorites for the division at this point but i think i think there are real questions that that he can be the guy, and, and knowing just like how Howie Roseman views the quarterback position and how Jeffrey Lurie views the quarterback position, my guess is they're going to continue to be sort of quarterback curious and, and keeping their eyes open for for an improvement.
0: But Wolf, you can read him in the Athletic, covers the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This wraps up this week's episode. You can go to NFLDraft.sportsinfoSolutions.com to read about every team's draft class, four hundred players in all detailed analytics, player evaluations, and much more. And check out our other podcasts, the SIS Baseball Podcast, and Playing in Space, our basketball podcast, which digs in deep on the NBA playoffs this week. For James Rodriguez, Nathan Cooper, Bo Wolf, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to Off the Charts.